Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Good morning. It is Tuesday, the 26th of April, 2022. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Um, so right there in the um, in the lead of, of this hour, one of the things that you heard about was the, the, the closing of a church. I wish it had been a declaration of the opening of churches. Um, but there are churches that close and there are churches that open. And I think it is both are notable. Um, and let me just go ahead and say, uh, it wasn't the coronavirus or COVID-19 or the pandemic that killed you. If that's your testimony, um, you have lost track of the narrative of the church. Um, and so the proclamation of the gospel for the salvation of humankind, if your church is not centered on that, if you're, uh, if you're not on your knees before the cross and seeking to extend the good news of the gospel to your neighbors every single day, then your church is dying. There you go. And we'll eventually close. Um, so the church is in the world as the Great Commission people on the Great Commission of Christ to extend the gospel to more and more people. That's who we are. That's what we do. We do it by grace. We speak the truth in love. Um, and we extend uh, we extend the truth of who God is in every direction. So although my heart is grieved and sad for those, um, you know, those last 20 folks who turned out the lights and closed the doors at the First Presbyterian Church of Des Moines, Iowa— Good morning to Gateway Church and Simple Church and Grace Church and the Des Moines Vineyard Church. Let's see. Uh, good morning to um, Walnut Creek Downtown Church and Christian Life Assembly of God Church and Corinthian Baptist Church and Highland Park Christian Church and Emmanuel Baptist Church and Soterra des Des Moines and the Fellowship Church and Park Avenue Christian Church and First Baptist Church and Glen Echo Christian Church um, and Capitol Hill Christian Church and Northridge Baptist Church and Lighthouse Community and the Church of the Union Park and Grace and, and on and on and on and Celebration and Revision. Those are all new churches in Des Moines. Mm-hmm. The church is on the move and on the march because Aslan is on the move and on the march. The the God we love is on the move and on the march. The gospel of Jesus Christ is being extended to more and more people. Yes, churches, institutional churches that sort of lose the uh, narrative of the gospel, yeah, they close. And rightly so. I'm sad. I'm sorry. It happens. But I am rejoicing this morning that new churches are being planted every single day in this country by Christians who have a heart for the gospel and want lost people to be saved. So if you are not a part of an active gospel-believing, gospel-proclaiming, gospel-extending congregation, then go join one or go start one. Um, What did you buy yesterday? Uh, Elon Musk bought Twitter uh, for, for $44 billion. We're going to talk more about that when we have an opportunity to catch up with Chris Martin in our, like, social media report. 
But you're going to hear a lot of people speculating today. And I think that's what we all need to recognize this is. Here's what we know. Elon Musk bought Twitter and is taking it private. That is pretty much all we know. Everything else is speculation. And so, um, you know, we'll, we'll talk more about it when we know more about it. We also discussed yesterday with Daniel Bennett that the Supreme Court was hearing a case of a former high school football coach. His name is Joe Kennedy. He was fired by a Texas school district because he failed to comply with their orders that he stopped praying at midfield following games. Um, I would say that having listened to a part of those oral arguments and having read a lot about what was said, I you know I feel pretty good about the outcome of that case. But you can't, um, you know, you you really can't predict what the Supreme Court's going to do on any particular issue. So let's be praying. Let's be praying for a positive uh, outcome in that. And then on the Ukraine front, um, it's important for you to know that um, yesterday, Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin. As the United States uh, Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin, as well as our Secretary of State Antony Blinken, um, they became the first officials, U.S. officials, to visit the Ukrainian capital of Kiev since Russia invaded Ukraine. Um, our Secretary of State announced the return of U.S. diplomats to Kiev. I think that's a sign that um, that's I think that's a sign to Russia. It's also a sign to the rest of the world that the United States sees Russia's efforts to take the Ukrainian capital as failed. Um, I think the important outcome of the meeting was something that the defense secretary, Lloyd Austin, said, um, because I think it's a signal to Putin and I think it's going to feed his paranoia. Um, Our defense, our secretary of defense said, we want to see Russia weakened to the degree that it can't do the kinds of things that it has done in invading Ukraine. So I think Putin is going to hear that as um, as the United States is seeking to. Uh, interfere in Russia's ongoing attempts to not only secure its borders, but have a perimeter around itself where it feels safe. And I think that Russian propaganda is going to make hay on um, on the statement by uh, Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin. Um, uh, Putin responded with a bombardment of several rail stations and fuel depots that are essential to Ukraine's efforts to move supplies to the front lines of the war now centered, centered in the south and the east. So let's be continuing to pray on that front. Nick Pitts joins us next. He's a fellow at the Institute for Global Engagement. And I'm going to ask him straight up, is Putin the Antichrist? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. at the Institute for Global Engagement. Good morning, Nick. Good morning, Carmen. How are you? I'm well, I'm well. All right, straight up. Is uh, Vladimir Putin the Antichrist? Oh, here we are. We're, we're just jumping right into it, aren't we? So, well, um, I mean, you know, this is, the, this is actually the question, right? This is the question that is being, um, it's, it's being publicly stated. And so I just feel yeah. like as Christians, like if we hear people saying this, we, we actually have to, have something to say. We can't just like look like we're deer in the headlights because the conversation is happening in the culture. You know, like there are people out there preaching that Putin is the Antichrist. And so I just feel like Christians need to be equipped. 
Yeah, so um, so what Carmen's alluding to is uh, the uh, leader of the Independent Orthodox Christian Church that's based in Kiev thinks so. He is he is quoted as saying, "quote The spirit of the Antichrist operates in the leader of Russia. The signs of which scriptures reveal to us pride, devotion, evil, ruthlessness, false religiosity. This was Hitler during World War II. This is what Putin has become today." Close quote. Um, he joins a long list of individuals who have claimed uh, that the anti Christ is among us. Um, many of your listeners will probably remember or sound familiar with the name John Wycliffe uh, back in the 14th century. He believed, uh, he asserted that the Pope uh, was the Antichrist. He said, quote, the Pope may obviously be the Antichrist and yet not just that sole single individual, but rather the multitude of popes holding that position. We fast forward to Martin Luther in uh, uh, 1483. Uh, um, during his time, he said the true, uh, the Pope is the true end times Antichrist who has raised himself over and set himself against Christ. And so we, we know that this isn't new accusations that there is an Antichrist and that Putin may be the Antichrist. But what who is the Antichrist? Let's look at the scriptures. And so Paul's calling the Antichrist the, quote, man of sin, close quote, in 2 Thessalonians 3, uh, the son of perdition. Uh, in 2 Thessalonians verse 4, he goes on to note that he opposes and exalts himself against all that's called God. Um, and then he could potentially come from within the church, right, is what um, Matthew uh, 22. 24 uh, is going to allude to, to warn us not to be deceived because, and again, in Second Thessalonians 4, he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God with allusions to the reality that this, uh, that uh, the enemy is like an angel, a beautiful angel, fallen angel. And so, yeah, there are conversations, one, that, uh, that the, uh, Putin is the Antichrist, and, and two, we, we know also that it isn't new, these accusations, but they should be taken with a measure of seriousness. So when I um, find myself in this particular conversation, um, I'm often in it with a person who is already convinced of their position, um, and I have found uh, dissuading them from their position very, very difficult in terms of, you know, if they believe they've identified the Antichrist in this generation, like it's, it's challenging. So one of the things I tend to do, Nick, is um, I make observations about an Antichrist spirit in the culture. There are a mm -hmm. lot of people operating out of a worldview that is anti or contrary to Christ. And so although I absolutely, um, you know, believe that in in the context of human history, there is going to be this this man of sin, this antichrist, this son of perdition, this uh, son of destruction. Like this person is is coming, but there are already a lot of people who oppose and exalt themselves against uh, that which is called God, right? And so those in those individuals are not the antichrist, but they do have an antichrist spirit operating within them. Oh, completely agree. And so I'll, I'll draw upon the wisdom of my grandmother, Alice Pitts, um, just to continue to uh, just support what you said. She always has told me the person who asks the questions in the conversation has the power. And so when you have individuals that are making assertions like Putin is the Antichrist, I move I move less away from giving a response of trying to go back and forth with that person and more to asking questions as to how they reached that position. And so uh, I'm very much wanting to draw out what's led them to this particular um, 
conviction and then also asking the question of how did you come to the definition of and why why do you think that Putin is the Antichrist? It's probably similar for a lot of people when they encounter the questions of heaven. What What is heaven to you? What, what makes heaven? Because for a lot of people in our culture today, simply because there's just a uh, kind of a spirit, uh, scriptural illiteracy. Uh, heaven isn't really heaven as it's described in the biblical narrative. Um, and then with the Antichrist, uh, often when you hear these conversations, it's not really the Antichrist that's described in the biblical narrative. But at the end of the day, uh, Putin can still be a, a significantly evil man, a deeply immoral, evil, nefarious character, and not be the Antichrist. And so I think we can come to agreement on that. All right. That's so helpful. All right. We're going to take a very brief break. When we come back, we're pivoting to a story that if you haven't heard, um, well, get your um, get your funk ready. Uh, It's about Steve Martin and, well, King Tut. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. All right. King Tut. Nick Pitts, why are we talking about Steve Martin and King Tut? Unfortunately, it's because (laughs) my fellow millennials just don't understand the brilliance of Steve Martin, even though he was partially before my time, especially this King Tut skit. I know, but aren't you glad you've seen it now? Aren't you glad you've seen it? No, I know. You know, the Mm -hmm. average adult, they say, laughs 18 times a day. And when I watched that, I I fulfilled uh, two of the 18 times in that moment. Yeah, you got them all in, right? Yeah, I mean, oh it's yeah, just, for sure. Yeah, it's yeah. So, um, so for those of you listening, here here's what's going on. So back in 1978, which it's hard to imagine that Steve Martin looked exactly the same in 1978 as he looks today. Oh, so I don't know what's going on with that. But, um, but Steve Martin did this song, this skit. Um, now, what was going on culturally at the time was around the country, people were standing in very long lines to see this King Tut exhibit. And Steve Martin made up a funny song about it and put on a funny costume and uh, made this, you know, late night appearance and made this goofy Egyptian themed dance. So there you go. That's what's going on. Um, and the the video of it um, is is just being um, considered now today among young people who apparently don't find it funny like they don't get it and so because they don't get it and they don't find it funny they think all the rest of us should not be allowed to watch it i mean like basically they're condemning people who think it's funny just party poopers so on behalf of millennials i want to apologize but then also try to give an explanation so you know it's really if you look past and obviously uh, what is it um uh, all humor a, a jester is a it's just a form of a prophet according to shakespeare mm. right and so the reality of the matter is like um uh, it's been proven that laughter we only laugh at stuff because it's funny 15 percent of the time um david brooks points this out in his book the second mountain he says that laughter is a is the the reward of shared understanding. The vast majority of our laughter comes because we have a shared understanding with the people that we're laughing with in close proximity to, or because we're sharing a TV show or an experience with them. And what this chasm obviously in, reveals is two things. One, millennials need to lighten up and see the gloriousness that is Steve Martin, and they need to go watch Father of the Bride Part 1, Father of the Bride Part 2. They need to go watch, uh, uh, just avail themselves of the catalog of Steve Martin, 
but also too, it just reveals like our just lack of shared understanding anymore. We live in a very fragmented world where everybody's watching obscure shows on Netflix or Hulu or whatever on demand. And we're just not watching the same stuff anymore. And we're not paying attention to the same collective, the same things anymore. It's just kind of sad how disunified we are and how we're not experiencing the same things together. (laughs) Did you serve, did you serve the chipper chicken? At your wedding? <laughs> I mean, right? Unfo- That's like, I mean, the father of the, bl- father of the bride won. This is like the, one of the funniest movies of all time. That and My Big Fat Greek Wedding, which, okay, now here you go. We're laughing at the Greek culture and Greek people in My Big Fat Greek Wedding, but it's a funny movie. Like, it's funny. Oh, oh it's, it's hilarious. It's hilarious. One, again, because, again, comedy is, is really the best comedians are those that are somewhat on the outside of the culture and they're able to observe just those funny nuances, those abnormal nuances that we just kind of take him for granted that can be highlighted. Steve Martin did this so well and the father Bryce, he, he did this so well. And uh, just all of us, all of, even in the King Tut, like just the, the reality of so many people going to see this exhibit. Uh, <laughs> but nevertheless, this is where we're at today. <laughs> Okay, um, can you um, very quickly tell me why so many people um, are protesting Major League Baseball games and the NBA um, games going on right now in the finals? And people are so crazy right now. I thought it was just because <laughs> the pandemic and like we're just coming out and we just forget how we forget our manners. But I mean, everything from uh, the uh, uh, the Yankees right now, where you have individuals that are throwing Yankee fans are throwing stuff on the yeah, field. Yeah, stop which it! Isn't Don't really do that. Effective. Yeah, it's not anything new for Yankees fans, um, especially in the Bronx. But then now what you're saying is that you've got at Minnesota Timberwolves, uh, you've got animal rights protesters because the Timberwolves owner has apparently slaughtered a significant amount of chickens and poultry due to disease, underlying disease that was impacting the entire uh, uh, farm system, what have you. And so now you've got these people that are uh, going on to the court, trying to glue themselves on the court in some instances, or trying to pretend like the refs in other instances. And as a Tennessean whose grizzlies are battling against the Timberwolves, I just can't stand for this. And two, because every time there's a protester on the Minnesota court, uh, the Grizzlies end up losing. So I need I need Minnesota kind to shape up because we can't be having the Grizzlies lose. <laughs> All right. Just so that, you know, um, uh, let's see. The the Memphis Grizzlies um, were at the Minnesota Target Center and there was an interruption in the play of game on Saturday um, with 10 minutes and 44 seconds left in the third quarter, a spectator seated in the second row behind the Timberwolves bench abruptly ran onto the court in the middle of a play. Security tackled her and dragged her off, which, of course, may lead to other things. The protests have been over, quote, the mass destruction of chickens on an Iowa farm. Um, and it is in related to um, not wanting infected meat to get into the um, U.S. food supply. So, like, right, there's a destruction of millions of laying hens at an egg-producing facility, um, and it has to do with the spread of the bird flu. So, I mean, that's what's going on, right? And it's actually not, I mean, it's sad, but it's not super unusual. Um, And the quick destruction of an entire flock um, or the quarantine of surrounding areas to prevent spread of virus is actually something that happens I mean, it happens a lot. So um, does that make us sad? Um, yes. Are, are chickens, frankly, on everybody's plate? Yes. As a, as a mother of, um, 
of a brood of of hens, right? Uh, we have, by the way, 11 new baby chicks at our house right now as of yesterday. Oh, um, wow. I know, I know. Well, it's spring. It's time for that because you got to replenish your flock because, I mean, you know, chicken was on the bobcat's plate over the winter. Chicken was on the hawk plate over the winter. I mean, chickens are on everybody's plate, raccoons. I mean, and so, um, yeah, so I'm sad but uh, that chickens die, but God makes us stewards over creation and we have a responsibility and we take care of things responsibly and um, these chickens were slaughtered in I mean you know to say they were humanely slaughtered sounds strange but this is actually the way that it works this is poultry production and egg production in America Um, if you don't like it raise your own yeah and I'll I'll save your listeners uh, ears this morning but as the great Lion King reminded us it's the circle of life Um, Mm -hmm. And I, I won't go any further than that because I'll break into song and inevitably that'll tune people out, et cetera. <laughs> that'll turn to an SNL skit and you'll do something uh, wrong yeah. and you'll end up like Steve Martin and there you yeah, go. I, just, I yeah. just can't handle that for a Tuesday morning. Hey, we love you so much. That's Nick Pitts. Um, you guys can find him at the Institute for Global Engagement. Blessings, my brother. So great to be with you, Garmin. We'll be right back. Um, thank you so much for all of your texts this morning. You guys can text me during the show at 877-933-2484. Lots of activity on the on the text line this morning. Appreciate that. Um, the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom released its annual report yesterday. I have not read it in its entirety. I can highlight this for us today. Um, there is a commentary and a recommendation in the report related to America's posture toward Afghanistan. Uh, the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom is recommending that Afghanistan be added to the State Department's list of worst religious freedom violators, uh, citing uh, changes that resulted when America withdrew from Afghanistan in August and and the Taliban uh, took the country over. So um, in this report, this annual report by the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom, USARIF, um, in their report, it notes that the regime change resulted in worsening conditions for religious liberty and significant deterioration of human rights for everyone in Afghanistan, but particularly religious minorities. So we have talked about that frequently here um, on the program, but I thought that I would highlight it for you as uh, we will be talking more from a religious liberty, international religious liberty conversation related to the USARIF report in coming weeks as we have the opportunity to read it. Luke Moon is up next from the Philos Project. He and I are going to uh, address the situation in Ukraine, particularly the issue of Easter. And then when was the last time you, um, you know, sort of did a little historical review on the status quo agreement in Jerusalem? I mean, you've wondered to yourself, like, all right, there's all of these people of different religious persuasions who live together uh, in Jerusalem. How does that work? Well, it's under this thing called the status quo agreement. And I thought it would be helpful for Luke to remind us, what is that? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. The wise men will bow down before the throne. And at his feet, they'll cast their golden crowns. All right. 
um, before we go to our conversation with Luke Boone, yes, all of you on the text line, I am up to speed. Walter, Kim, uh, Bob, Sue, Nancy, Lori, all of you, I am up to speed on um, euthanasia of chickens by carbon dioxide um, being much preferred to allowing birds to die from a nasty death of the bird flu. So there you go. Thank you so much. The things you cover here on Mornings with Carmen, that's an astounding range of topics. All right, Luke, um, welcome back, my brother. Uh, it's good to be back. Sometimes Strange when you arrive, intro, I know, I know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, it was a conversation about basketball, and it moved into a conversation about chickens, and here we are. Okay, Luke is back. Um, <laughs> it was Easter in uh, in the parts of the world where Orthodox Christianity dominates, which means that for Russian Orthodox Christians and Orthodox Christians in Ukraine, this past Sunday was Easter. Um, maybe just give us a sense of uh, of what happened in Ukraine on Easter. Um, and then I'd love to just have you reflect on um, the status of things there. Yeah, I mean, it was there was a hope that you know we might have a an Easter ceasefire. There was an appeal made by the World Council of Churches to the Patriarch of uh, the Russian Orthodox Church, uh, asking him, you know, let's let's take a uh, you know, a weekend break or even, a, a, you know, several hours, you know, there, there's a there's that classic story, all is quiet on the Western Front, where, you know, during uh, on Christmas Eve, the the fighting uh, between World War One ended uh, and people came together and and, uh, you know, shared uh, the Christmas spirit. And then, you know, the next day went back to fighting each other. So. That that does happen. There's historic precedence of it, and it would have been wonderful had that happened, uh, but it didn't. And yet, um, you know, Christians still gathered. They still went to to church. They still celebrated Easter. You know, I think it's actually uh, in times like this, you know, surprisingly or unsurprisingly, is when uh, people find themselves actually. Uh, more drawn to faith, right? When when the world around you is crumbling, uh, that's when uh, you know, as 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 Lord says in the New Testament, um, you know, my my strength is made perfect in weakness, right? And and I think that's what people are finding, you know, it, the 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 amount of faith that is increasing in. Ukraine, and I suspect even in Russia as a result of this conflict, I think, you know, shouldn't be ignored. Um, to, a couple of questions arise. Um, so the World Council of Churches, it's been a long time since I've even heard them referenced in a relationship to anything. So that's a curiosity to me. The other <laughs> is this appeal to the patriarch of the Russian Orthodox Church, you know, as if he would have that kind of power and influence over Vladimir Putin. Um, I think both of those are important things to take note of in this conversation. Well, I think well, to the to the second point first. I think the you know there is. I mean, the the patriarch has almost from the beginning been very kind of affirming of Putin. There's this. I mean, there is a historic relationship. Um, leave aside the you know during the communist era that whole stuff between the you know the the church and the state of, of Russia. I mean, that is more that you find that traditionally in 
all of the Orthodox countries, a much that kind of separation of powers that that we have mostly, you know, actually, you know, in, in the American tradition, even in the strongest way uh, is, is not overly common in the in the Orthodox world. Right. I mean, the, the, the Greek Orthodox Church is very strong in, in, in the politics and all all up in that business and same in, in Russia. I think I mean, the World Council of Churches, you're right. They they tend not to do a lot. I mean, I, I follow them on Twitter, and you know they're they're very much committed to um, you know the the climate change agenda and the you know whatever the the you know the hot kind of uh, you know secular issue of the moment. They're all up in that business, but all, but at the same time. Uh, they they do have member one of their members is the Russian Orthodox Church and so it was appropriate then for the head of the uh, World Council of Churches to reach out and say, suggest that there be this um, uh, Easter ceasefire which unfortunately was turned down. Yeah. Um, it's been interesting to watch the relationship between the Russian Orthodox Church and other Orthodox Christians around the world. Uh, the Russian Orthodox Church and its relationship to, um, you know, the the see in Rome um, and the Pope's efforts in all of this. And I think that as Protestant Christians, it's been um, it, it's been an an interesting reminder that um, in many parts of the world, the Church doesn't mean what it means, you know, in a in a twenty first century. American evangelical mind. It, it means something very, very different. So it's been a an interesting window into all of that. Um, you know a lot about all of that because you've spent a lot of time not only in Eastern Europe, but you've spent a lot of time in Jerusalem. And when you and I went to visit Jerusalem, like, right, one of the things that we kept seeing were these churches where there are these agreements between historic expressions of Christianity for shared space, um, or um, uh, or there are different expressions um, from different religious traditions in relationship to the same sites. So take us a little bit into Jerusalem. I want to talk about a couple of things, uh, the, the sort of confluence or the intersection of Passover, Ramadan, and Easter, and then the status quo agreement in Jerusalem. Because, like, right, we've, we've slept since we thought about that. So what is the status quo agreement in Jerusalem um, and then this interesting intersection of these various religious uh, holy days. Right. So I had a, I had a friend that I, I took to Israel a few years ago, and, and he described the old city of Jerusalem as as the eye of a hurricane. Right. I mean, the, and I mean, the world is is swirling around as where all the, you know, violence is happening. But in the old city of Jerusalem, even even if it's there's conflict all around in in Israel, the rest of Israel, the old city will have this kind of peace about it. And I I often take people to this um, to this juncture in the old city, where on uh, on Friday morning, and you would have seen this even this last week, uh, on a Friday morning, the the Muslims will be walking. And going to the the Al Aqsa and the Temple Mount to pray, uh, and then on Friday afternoon, uh, as Shabbat's coming, and you'll see the the Jews streaming into the the Western Wall uh, uh, Plaza, and to to welcome in Shabbat. And for about a hundred feet, 
the Via della Rosa is on that same road, right? So you have this this convergence of the three face even on this on, on one juncture in the old city, and you have that all over the place. The 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 place where uh, the, the is is considered the upper room, right? In in the upper room, the the ground floor is the the tomb of King David, and on the the upper room part is the upper room, and in the corner of the upper room, there is, uh, it, it was at, at one point, it was a mosque, and so you can see the elements of the fact that it was a mosque at one point, right? And and so all three of these, uh, of, you know, the Abrahamic face, if you will, are, are you know, it, it occupy a, a very small space. I mean, that, that upper room space is, is you know, Probably not much bigger than most people's houses, right? And and yet, you know, here here it is. People aren't killing each other. I mean, there's violence sometimes, but the reason why people aren't killing each other is because, you know, at those intersections, at those places where, you know, the 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 face all uh, hold the, that particular space very valuable. The state of Israel is committed to ensuring that people of different faiths have the opportunity to pray and worship as they see fit in that space, right? So, I mean, the reality is that that religious freedom, uh, and this is what happens when you know these faiths come together, everybody worshiping as they say, it does not happen through the altruism of the human spirit, right? It happens. It's preserved in Israel in particular with guns, right? Religious freedom has to be part of the rule of law. And the status quo agreements were set up, they're, they're very old, and they allow, you know, they're trying to, to allow for people of different faiths to be able to occupy the same space and not fight. And, you know, as this last week or two, you had Ramadan, Passover, and Easter all happening at the same time, and there it, it created additional tensions, right? It doesn't help that social media lies go out. You know the you know the the Jews are storming Al Aqsa goes out on Twitter and it hits the whole of the Muslim world, and people get enraged and and you know violence happens and and but rocks are thrown and people are prohibited from going into certain places and. It, it created, there's just, you know, having so many of those, you know, those big holy days on the same weekend, just, you know, I, I feel bad for the, you know, for the police officers who had to manage all of that. But all of the reality is, though, is that, you know, like we seeing in a lot of other places, that, that the cohesion, the center uh, is, is failing. Or it's you know it's it's fraying at the edge, right? And you know even now, uh, you know up on the Temple Mount, you know every day Jews will walk around the edges of the Temple Mount and they get screamed at and stuff like that. But they're you know showing that you know we think we should have a right to pray up here on the Temple Mount too, because here's where the Temple was, and mm -hmm. it's it's not seen like that by the Muslims who are up there. And the status quo agreement on the Temple Mount is it's under the custodianship of the Jordanians. And, uh, and 
it you know everybody the muslims are allowed to pray and everybody else can visit so i've been up there several times and if you bring a bible if you even have a cross necklace they will tell you to take it off or hide it or put it away uh you know if, if you go up there with with shorts on and both men and women they will make you uh put on like a skirt basically uh and it's it's all kind of uh in, you know, in one sense, it's it's a show of like this is our space. But on the other hand, it's actually the Temple Mount is the only place in 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 uh, the old city of Jerusalem that I, as a Christian, cannot go and pray. And mm-hmm. and a and a and a and a Jew can't pray either, right? And and it's I think it's because it's under the custodianship of the Jordanians, and Jordan doesn't have. The same kind of commitment to religious freedom that Israel does. Yeah, it's it's profound and it's very very helpful to have these reminders from time to time. Um, we're talking with Luke Moon from the Philos Project. When we come back, we're going to talk about um, Holocaust Remembrance Days here in the United States. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. <laughs> All right, continuing our conversation with Luke Moon from the Philos Project. Um, Luke, the White House has issued a proclamation on Days of Remembrance of Victims of the Holocaust. Um, Talk with us about Holocaust Remembrance Day, um, and particularly here in the United States, how Christians might, um, might actively participate in this in ways that maybe honor our Jewish neighbors. Yeah, so uh, the president, as you said, Uh, proclaimed this week Holocaust Remembrance Week, but the day is actually uh, tomorrow and Thursday. You know, it's in the Jewish tradition and things start at the sun, sundown on one day and, you know, it ends the sundown the next day. Uh, And so it, you know, it's, it's obviously the remembering of, of the Holocaust. And I think it's important, you know, just there's a couple of thoughts here. One is, is, you know, that the way that, genocide happens it doesn't start with you know the the mass killings of people right the the you know the the gas chamber type scenario it starts with dehumanization it starts with calling people cockroaches uh, referring to other people as subhuman and i i used to have this i used to teach on this and i had this thing i called the spectrum of injustice and on one end was was you know someone calling you a bad name when you're a kid, and on the other end uh, was was genocide. And there's a lot of injustice in between there. And the way that and I called in define injustice as an, as an abuse of power, right? And the way that you overcome an abuse of power is by righteous power. So if somebody calls you a name, and your mom, you know that's that's a you know, abuse of power. And then somebody, your mom comes and says, Hey, you know, that's not who you are. You're my child. You're my son. You're my daughter. Like if that is the, that righteous power, your mom coming in to, to address the injustice of something calling you a name at the other end of the spectrum is genocide. And the way that, that genocide has been ended in, in all of the recent instances of it has been where multiple nations come together to, a, to, to, basically say enough's enough and they put an end to it and that's how it's what happened in Rwanda and Darfur and uh and and uh in the Balkans in in Bosnia 
in in each of those instances, multiple nations came together and to, to to put an end to it. And so I think, but you know, like the the reality is, like I said, the genocide doesn't start with the mass killings. It, that's the end of it. It starts with the dehumanization. And I I think one of the things that is important for us as Christians is to get out in front of any any instance where there's kind of dehumanization taking place and the group that seems to always be on the receiving end of the dehumanization attacks is the Jewish people right and i've i've spoken about this before but there's this irrational hatred of the Jewish people and i think it's rooted in the fact that the Jews were the people by which god brought his moral revelation into this world and the world hates him for it and I and so there's this, it, you know, the Jews are always the scapegoat. And I think as Christians, we have we have uh, participated, sadly, in too many instances of 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 anti-Semitism and anti-Jew and, and, and Jewish hate. And so one of the things that, you know, we started Fields Project this last year uh, was the Fields Action League and. The symbol of the Fields Action League is the white rose, and it harkens back to a group of, of, of uh, young uh, anti-Nazis who were like, enough is enough. And so they, they started the white rose uh, group. And, and so one of the things that we're doing this week uh, as an expression of physically showing up in solidarity is we're uh, encouraging people to get a bouquet of white roses and bring it to your uh, the local Holocaust memorial if there's one close by, or even uh, the Jewish Community Center, and just uh, bring a bouquet of white roses and say, uh, "I'm a Christian and I stand in solidarity with the Jewish people, and I want you to know that." And I'll tell you what, when you do that, it it makes such a difference in people's hearts and minds. Uh, there's a there's a lot of suspicion, you know. There's 2000 years of of antagonism towards the Jewish people isn't over, you know, isn't easily overcome. Uh, and it, it, these the that kind of acts of solidarity that that I'm trying to, to model through uh, the Fields Action League and through our team and uh, encourage Christians to participate in it, it, it goes it, it does more than you can possibly imagine in in building relationships and creating the bonds that will hopefully last forever. I love that. All right. We can go buy um, white roses and take them to our local Holocaust Remembrance Center or a Jewish community center, a synagogue near where you live. Um, just a simple note. I'm a Christian. I stand in solidar- solidarity with the Jewish people. If you want some more resources, the Philos Action League is where you can look for those. Um, where are we going to find that, Luke? Uh, it's philosproject.org uh, backslash action. All right, philosproject.org backslash action. All right, as always, uh, my brother, thank you so much. Um, thank you oh, for you. not only informing us, but then also equipping us. Genuinely appreciate it. I appreciate the opportunity. Thanks, Carmen. All right, absolutely. We're going to take a brief break, and then we'll be right back. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. All right, there is a lot going on in the world today. I want you to lift up the family. 
of a young man named Bishop Evans. Bishop Evans um, sacrificed his life, member of the U.S. National Guard. Um, he jumped into the Rio Grande at Eagle Pass, Texas, to save what he thought were um, you know, people who were struggling to illegally cross the Rio Grande. Um, Specialist Bishop Evans um, never resurfaced from uh, from the Rio Grande. His body was recovered yesterday. Um, let's be lifting up his family. There's lots and lots and lots of political discourse surrounding this. There's lots of conversation related to, um, you know, the border and immigration and I mean, on and on and on. But let's not forget, here's a young man, 22 years old, a bright future in front of him, who willingly sacrificed his life um, to save others. And there's a witness in that. And there's also great grief in his family at his loss. And so um, I just want to lift him up today, lift his family up today, recognize how real their grief is. And in the midst of um, the political discourse, let's not lose sight of this one young man, um, this Texas National Guard member um, who willingly, you know, jumped into danger, risking his life to save the lives of others. Greater love has no one than this, that they would lay down their life for someone else. And so let's just um, be mindful of that uh, today. Let's be lifting up the Bishop Evans family. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We've got another hour up next. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.